Our second scripture reading this morning is a gospel reading. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Over the past several weeks, we have heard stories about Jesus' interactions with the people around him, with a mother in mourning, with an anonymous woman who bathed his feet with her tears, with Simon, the Pharisee, and with blind Bartimaeus. This passage we are about to hear is not a story, but it is a saying, a teaching of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Matthew remembers Jesus delivering this sermon in his home region of Galilee when his ministry was only just beginning. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the little group of fishermen who called themselves Jesus' followers was already growing into a whole crowd of people. So I imagine them bumping along the dirt roads from town to town, pushing to get closer to Jesus and hear what he was saying, maybe having to play telephone when not everybody could catch it. Along the way, they were probably swapping their own stories too, new, fresh stories of how Jesus had helped them. It was a crowd of people, a crowd of people just coming to know Jesus, just starting to understand their calling, just becoming friends, just beginning to cohere as a group. It was their experience of Jesus' power that had brought them together, but it was his words, his teaching, that would bind them as a community of faith. And I think the same can go for our little crowd here. So let's listen in. I ought to warn you, we're arriving late for this sermon. The Beatitudes are over, for one thing. But Matthew took some really good notes, and I think he'll let you borrow them. Hear the words of our teacher. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Love your enemies. If that sounds illogical or impossible or downright offensive to you, you are in good company. Even in Jesus' time, to tell people to love their enemies was highly unusual, even unprecedented. It was not a thing. And that much is clear from Psalm 59, which Max just read for us. Deliver me from my enemies, oh my God, the psalmist cries. Awake to punish all the nations. Spare no one who treacherously plots evil. For the people Israel, it made much more sense to curse enemies than to love them. And that is not surprising. Consider what their enemies had done. God's people had suffered 
centuries of conquest and occupation with little reprieve. At the hands of their oppressors, they had seen their cities crumble, their children starve, their holiest places totally desecrated. So if they hated their enemies, well, that was why. It was only right to ask God for deliverance and then for swift retribution. The psalm we heard is not just some petty vindictiveness. It's a call for justice. So to love your enemies? That's ridiculous. Maybe impossible when the hurt runs deep. I suspect that we have all known situations where we did not really ask it of ourselves or of the people we love to love their enemies. With good reason. Maybe it seemed too dangerous or just plain ineffective. Maybe it was too hard to know how to begin and you had better things to do. You had better things to pray for, to live for. You had people in your life who were easier to love and so by the grace of God, you loved them. And why try? Why try to love your enemies when you can fight back? Has Jesus fully considered this other option? One of the biggest stories in popular music over the past few years has been the feud between superstars Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. And oh yes, I know all about it. I've read People Magazine in line at HEB. Anyway, here's the gist if you're uninitiated. Way back in 2013, way back, Katy Perry hired two of Taylor Swift's backup dancers while Taylor was in the middle of her global concert tour. Yeah. And to Taylor, this was sabotage, and she started bad-mouthing Katie in the press. So Katie retaliated with a mean tweet. And Taylor retaliated with a hit song. And it has a really subtle title. Bad blood. It's a no-holds-barred takedown directed at her rival. Now we've got bad blood. It used to be mad love. Take a look what you've done. Because, baby, now we've got bad blood. Now we've got bad blood. And it's a permanent state of affairs with these two young women going round for round in the public eye, tweet after tweet, song after song, hate songs, not love songs. And they're hits. These are the songs that get us pumped up at the gym. These are the songs that help us pass the time in traffic. They keep the record industry afloat and they draw us out onto the dance floor. Because guess what? Revenge is fun and it's surprisingly danceable. <laughs> but Jesus says, forget what you've heard. Forget what you've heard. 
I'm telling you to love your enemies and to pray for the very ones who do you wrong. So impractical and so uncool. But suppose you are sitting right at Jesus' feet and you look up and catch his eye and you see that he is serious. Suppose you want to heed the challenge, not to be God, but to be God-like, to be gracious to all, to love indiscriminately. God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what Jesus says. So as wonderful as it would be to just soak up the sun and feel the rain on our very righteous skin, there's more to life than that. We have to love like God. That's the word of the Lord. So what are you waiting for? If you're anything like me, you're still trying to wiggle out of this one. Maybe you think you can get Jesus on a technicality and bargain your way out like you could try telling Jesus that you don't really have enemies you're not keeping score you're not into drama you're not a pop princess or anything you're a friendly person look everyone's your friend I imagine that Jesus might hear you out but he might also hand you a newspaper and ask you to read a few headlines he might turn on the TV and maybe not to the news station you usually watch. Jesus would hear you out in that attentive way of his, but he might also point you to the boardroom. He might point you to Facebook. He might point you to your family. Jesus just might point you to the shadow land of your heart, to the forsaken field among so many that are blooming with life and love and say, what about that place? What about that person? On the other hand, perhaps you already see your enemy all too clearly. You know them well and you wanna tell Jesus, I can't do this, I'm not perfect. I can't love them. And maybe it's not just a brush off, like maybe you've tried it. You tried to pray, but the only prayer you could manage was a perfunctory prayer. And it was laced with no small amount of self-righteousness. Or maybe you tried to be cordial, to say hello. But afterward you walked away in a breathless rage, analyzing and judging every word you'd said, every look that had passed between you. Maybe you've been working through it for years and you're even forgetting how it started, but the feeling is too strong and forgiveness is too far away. It's no good, Jesus. I don't know how to be like you. I don't know how to love like you and it's hurting me to try. Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew what it was to have enemies. As a Lutheran minister in Nazi Germany, he was denounced pretty early on as an enemy of the state because he refused to accept Hitler as head of the church. The church, of course, belonged to Christ. It was plain and simple. And the church must preach the gospel, not any worldly ideology. But to love enemies, even Nazis, 
was part of the church's true testimony. And despite the challenges he faced, Bonhoeffer was adamant. Where in the world is there greater need, he asked. Where are deeper wounds and pain than those of our enemies? Where is doing good more necessary and more blessed than for our enemies? But as you may know, for Bonhoeffer to love enemies did not mean giving in to them. Very soon, Bonhoeffer became involved in the resistance movement that was taking form in Germany, and it was not long before his activities landed him in prison and finally in a concentration camp. The story goes that to the very end of his life, even as he walked to the gallows, Bonhoeffer was faithful, obedient to Christ, and yes, by all accounts, friendly even to his enemies, to the guards who kept him confined. Stories like Bonhoeffer's ought to inspire us, but honestly, just as often, I think they intimidate us. His bravery and resolve seemed superhuman. Sure, he could walk in Jesus' footsteps. He could go toe-to-toe with the Pontius Pilots of his day. He could resist evil without ever denying love. But who am I? Who am I to live like that? Who am I? Honestly, the best reason I have to be inspired by Bonhoeffer these days is that he wondered the very same thing. Alone in prison in the dead of the night. Who am I? Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of? Is that who I am? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? I know that I am restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty, at praying, at thinking, at making. Who am I after all? You see, even for the very best among us, even for the very best among us to love like Jesus, to have a love that extends even to enemies, it's complex. It's open-ended. It will make you wonder in the dead of the night what you were doing and who you are. This tough love that we've been talking about, it's just that. It's tough. It's a struggle with many a deep and unanswered question in the darkness. I still wonder what will get us through when so much is required of us. Poetry, 
prayer, traveling companions, this word that's been written on our hearts, yes. But there's one more thing, something Bonhoeffer never forgot and something we would do well to remember too. And the thing is, we are God's children. We are God's children. It's a big responsibility to be sure. Like children who carry on the legacy of a parent, we have to be active, industrious, true to our calling, come what may. But you know what? If we really are God's children, we are God's inheritors, we have an innate predisposition to love. It's just who we are. We bear the image of God without even trying, just like a child who has her father's eyes, her mother's gracious movements. Friends, we are chips off the old block. And yes, we forget that. Yes, we mess it up. But the image of God has been imprinted on us for the world to see. And that, at long last, is what Jesus wants us to know. If we strive for moral perfection with all our might, we will never get there. When Jesus says, love your enemies, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, here's the thing, he is, he's actually asking us to let go. Not to strive, but to let go. Every lesson about tough love is a lesson in surrender. To listen and to be present without judgment, that's what we've been learning, that's what we've been practicing these past few weeks. But to love that way, I have to let go of my need to run the conversation. I have to let go of my anxiety about the time that I have. I have to let go of my preconceptions. I have to let go. And friends, when surrendering becomes your practice, when it becomes your habit, you may just find one day that loving your enemy is just happening. Like blue bonnets sprung up overnight, love comes blooming out of hate. Hatred is not who we are. Resentment and vindictiveness and bitterness, that's not who we are. Love is. Love is. And so, beloved, I'll leave you with this. You know what? We're going to look foolish sometimes. Illogical, indiscriminate, impossible people. So be it. Amen. It's who we are. We are God's children, and we cannot help ourselves. May God's grace be not only for us and to us, but may it live in us and flow through us. For God so loves the world. In Jesus' name, amen.